We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. I'll bet you £50 million that Arsenal didn't have the striker they needed on Sunday. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, £50 million will tell you that we probably could have used a better striker, but that's another topic that we will come to momentarily. First, I want to introduce the panel, because it is a full boat, it is a full house, it is all the intellectual capacity we can muster, uh, including myself. Tim is here, he is on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Paul is here, is on Twitter at... Uh, uh, pausing in my pants. That's the one. Hi, pause. Victory has many fathers. Defeat is an orphaned bastard. And Clive is here. You can find Clive on Twitter at Clive BAFC. Hello, Clive. I'll just stick with hello, hello. Hello, hello, indeed. Uh, Scott will be along momentarily with a stat section that Paul uh, has huge problems with because it takes a dim look at uh, Francis Coughlin's involvement in the match. But that's not really our priority. Our priority for right now is to pick over the remains of a 3-1 defeat at Manchester City, a defeat that uh, probably wasn't as shameful as some of us might have anticipated it would be, although, of course, I predicted a 4-3 win. Uh, the doomy one on the pod, who we call Tim, uh, predicted a loss. So maybe it's best that we start with him. Um, Tim, I, I want to sort of start with a, a holistic view of this, which is simply Manchester City look to be one of the most dominant good teams in the Premier League for many a year. Um, mm. They are probably worth the hype that they are getting. And mm. so just before we get into the lineup, before we get into the specifics of the match, um, is it just fair to say that 
any analysis of this match at some level can be written off as we're clearly not in their <clears throat> league. No one thought we were in their league. And that over overemphasizing this result or this performance is probably a mistake, whereas just writing it off as they're better than us might be the best way forward. Um, broadly, yes, I do think that's the case. I do th- like. I don't think we played particularly badly. I think we had a plan, and it was a fairly decent one. Um, it's just against Manchester City, you've got to be pretty much perfect, and we weren't. We weren't terrible. I don't even think we were bad. It's just your mistakes are super magnified by this Manchester City team because they punish you for nearly every single one you make. So. Although they I'd were a little Arsenal. bit profligate on the day. I, th- I mean, they, they definitely could yeah, have made it were. worse, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, they could have. Do you, do you know what it kind of reminded me of? Um, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I wonder if like Stoke and Bournemouth fans, when they get beat at the Emirates, come away and like pour over the tactical the tactical decisions of the manager and think, or whether they just go, yeah, well, we're expecting that. They're better than us. We needed a perfect performance and a bit of luck and we didn't get it. And, you know... Never mind, maybe one time out of ten we kind of win this game. But um, And also really, well, I say, uh, I, say, I, I say this like it's some kind of controversial statement. I mean, we were never in the title race. So in terms of losing ground on Manchester City, that doesn't matter really. I, I, don't, I don't sense that anyone really believes that that matters. We are in a fight for the top four. And so the really important games um, and that doesn't mean you can just toss away points obviously but um, you know getting anything out of this would have been a massive bonus the the Spurs game the Man United game coming up at home that those are the ones really um, that will that will have a massive bearing on where we finish this season we've we've kind of got Man City away and Chelsea away out of the way now which is and, and Liverpool away out of the way which is kind of a good thing um, we're kind of still waiting for our front three to really click um, as individuals and as and when they play together a bit more as a, as a kind of trio. So in, in some respect, yes, I think as as fans, we sh- probably should look at it that way. Obviously, the team should do some analysis on what went wrong and where their mistakes were. Um, but broadly... We were searching for the perfect game and we got and we we got you know an okay game um, out of our players, which is just not going to be enough. And I think you're right. I think City. Um, I, I think there was more in this than three one. Really, I think City really could have come out of. We're, we're really in second gear for a lot of the game because um, because they had it won. Quite frankly, so. Yeah, but they'll do that to a lot of, to a lot of teams, and I th- I think that they're going to be kind of the best champions we've seen in England for probably since Mourinho's first Chelsea team. The most convincing champions I think we'll have seen in in over a decade. Yeah, I, and I, so and the reason I start there is because we're going to break this down at every level and talk about incidents and talk about mm. decisions and talk about you know maybe some of the things that frustrate us with those decisions, but. I think there is an argument to be said, and then you know what? Have an international break, take the two weeks off, wash this game out of your memory, and move on as though it never happened. Because the danger of drawing conclusions from this game and starting to change your squad and change your system and do things differently is that we aren't coming up against Manchester City every week. So we need to stick with the tactics that work against the 18 other teams, right? Not the one outlier team. And that would be my concern, is if we look at this game as 
instructive when really it's probably more of a one-off, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm. Um, so, Paul, having said that, the manager did make some odd decisions, and, and we'll get to them individually, the Cochran decision and the Iwobi decision. But from what you could see, obviously making those choices um, meant that he had a, a way of playing in mind or a way he wanted us to play in this match. Since I'm not totally sure what it was, how would you describe what you think the plan was out of the gate? Okay. So I, I think your and Tim's conversation is spot on so far. So, But I will make a little bit of a case for the defense, if you know what I mean, even though I know my that client's me. guilty. <laughs> yeah, I know. I Look, I'm admitting my client's guilty. Don't get me wrong. So, yeah. It was a, a squirrely kind of lineup. We know Per wasn't available, so Cock got, got put in the middle. Uh, you do a very nice section with Scott, and one of the things he covers is that we kind of closed them down, relatively speaking, in the box. Uh, we had five across the back, and basically we pushed them out to the sides, and at no stage did they penetrate us down the middle apart from when Ramsey stepped out into a 1-2 and, and De Bruyne stepped around him and, and shot from distance. So I think that basic tactic of holding the center was successful. Uh, in terms of our own game, uh, of course, that left the wings open, and they certainly penetrated down those a couple of times, but they were going to do that against anybody. Uh, short of changing formation, it was what it was, and the manager explained why he didn't want to just do that for a one-off game. And I think that makes some sense. Um, in previous games we've seen our, in recent times, our way of attacking is down the wings. Look at our last game and the pass, uh, the last Premier League game and our pass patterns are down the wings. That's how we attack. In this particular game, we'd Ozil and Awobi. And uh, again, you and Scott talk about Awobi's role. I think it's, it, it, when you're talking about that, I think it's a little harsh on Iwobi in the sense that his role was really to mirror Ozil and so what's interesting is Ozil start or Iwobi is nominally on the left with Ozil on the right but actually in an attacking sense Ozil switches to the left in the final third very often and Iwobi complements that so when you look at their touch patterns they're almost an X diagram where Iwobi's defending one side but attacking almost uh, across the diagonal and very similarly with Ozil where Ozil's going over to Sanchez's favorite area and meeting up with Kolasinac so another thing you highlight with Scott is that our most touches touches in the final third is Kolasinac uh, and in the box and I don't think that's either bad or uh, indicative of something going against plan. I think that's very much plan and in some ways was our most effective outlet. So we can debate Lacazette and Sanchez and I certainly get that, but I I can see why the manager felt he had to play Sanchez and Ozil and if he was going to play those two players, he didn't want to also play Lacazette who can come across as a little quiet in the final third. So I don't think he wanted those three players with with one of them being a giveaway machine and one of them being Ozil and potentially have two somewhat quiet players within the game 
and Sanchez giving the ball away. So he made a compromise, took Sanchez up front, where if he turned the ball over, and he did, there was at least coverage behind it. And, of course, there were things about it. In a way, it was a question of stemming the the blood flow, and to some degree it did that. It was somewhat effective going forward, but as we've said, this is City, and they were going to hurt us uh, in uh, in our in the attacking third for us mm-hmm. when we were attacking them, and to some degree in midfield or to a large degree in midfield, they were going to overwhelm us, and they did. So yeah, I think completely. it was a compromise. Yeah, that's fair. Look, uh, I do want to reference that the the Scott section, the stat section, which Paul has brought up a few times. Uh, you, dear listener, have not heard it yet. Paul has, hence his ability to reference it. It is coming. I assure you, the sensible, intellectual, uh, concrete. Part of the uh, part of the podcast is coming, but before that, we need to talk to Clive. Uh, Clive, I I think you cannot go any further in analyzing this game without diving into the two interesting selection issues. One of them is Francis Coughlin. I find that one less interesting because in the light in light of the fact that it sounds like Permutasacker was ill, and the manager didn't have a lot of time to to make a decision about what to do, um, and he went with Coughlin. I mean. We can decide whether it should have been El Nenny or whether it should have been someone else, but it seems like sort of a straight swap, just a weird choice of who to swap with. But the Iwobi for Lacazette decision is big, and I, I want to talk about it with you for two reasons. One, you predicted it, so kudos to you. Two, I think it was fucking horrible. So defend yourself, Clive. Why did you come up with this terrible solution? I thought Iwobi would play, but I thought um, it was a toss-up between Lacazette and Ozil, and I just suddenly felt because Lacazette is quite low touch, that when he goes away from home, he will drop him. And um, and we sort of, myself and Tim, we both sort of, we sort of pleaded that we would be Arsenal. Whatever happened, win or lose, we'd be Arsenal. And even in our subconscious, in the preview part, I was thinking, he's going to do something. He's going to do something. Because that's what he does sometimes. When he comes to a big moment of stress, he overcoaches. And I think he... We've had three big games so far this year against Liverpool, Chelsea and City. And I felt the approach to one was correct. We got a nil-nil draw. And the approach to the others were not so good. And what I mean by that is we don't approach the game with any sort of serenity of a big club, of an elite club. We like approach like the here's game. our team. It's good enough. We're going to put it out there. We're yeah. Gonna, yeah, okay. Exactly. We've been building towards this this front three. We know they've got weaknesses, but they've got massive strengths. So you need to say, let's be Arsenal. Let's go out there and say, this is what we're about. If you're going to, you know, I, I think maybe if Welbeck was fit, I think he would have played. I think the most intense front three is Lacazette, Welbeck and, and Sanchez. And if I, you know, I'd like those three to be playing in these sort of Northwest games, if I'm honest with you. Um, but I just knew that was going to happen. And this, this is why this is my issue with the manager. Really, he's not bringing composure and assurance to the club. So he is our stewardess. He's the air steward. When you're on the plane and you go through turbulence, you have a quick look at the air steward. And if she's standing there and she's cool, you you're cool. If she's standing there and she gets scared, you're you think to yourself, well, she's been on this flight every single day. If she's scared, this is a bad one, right? And when we go to these big games, I look at our manager and he does not wreak assurance. His selection reeks of reaching and it doesn't give confidence. And I thought we played like a, 
championship team in an FA Cup game against a premiership team. So in other words, we pl- were, plenty of, of effort, not a lot of quality? <laughs> not a lot of assurance. Yeah. Is that the right word? Confidence. A real mm-hmm. certainty. Mm-hmm. Certainty. Self-belief. We dance around the ball a bit. We're not, we overhit our passes. We smash some shots over the bar. And we're better than this. We didn't look technically relaxed. We look technically nervous and insecure. And then you talk about the, the physicality side. And I felt we were out intense. I do think it was competitive, but only competitive because City on the back of a European game and they were a little bit tired. I thought I didn't get the game live. I watched it second time around and I thought the game was quite flat. I thought they were jogging and we were jogging thinking, oh, we're we're quite close here for a little bit. But I didn't think there was a certainty of we're going to display our quality. And so I go back to the manager again. I feel he's doing what he did, what he can do sometimes to people's careers. Lacazette, he's creating an issue here when there is not one. And now suddenly we've got a problem with our and our next flagship player. And you heard me talk about he's the one we needs to be recruiting for us. If he goes away with international duty and all these French mates say, what's it like at Arsenal? What's he going to say? You get benched for the big say, games and play 60 minutes in the other ones? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, come along. Yeah, come and come. It's all, it's all good there. You know, they've got a clear mind what they're doing, a clear philosophy, a clear strategy, a clear playing plan. The manager's great. He really overcoaches us. We're so, we're so well instructed. Yeah, come to Arsenal. I mean, I don't, uh, that's, I don't that's think the so. thing that worries me. <laughs> well, that's look, the thing that worries me. I, here, here's my problem. Okay, ultimately, you guys, I, this, this is the reality of football. Goals are rare may not seem like it against us always, but goals are rare, and goals are hard to score, and goals win games. And because goals wins ga- win games, strikers cost nine figures. Um, at the end of the day, the one player you don't rotate out of a squad for tactical reasons is the guy you most trust to score goals, because no matter how ill-suited you may feel he is to the game— Goals win games. Goals change games. Goals affect games. Look what happened when Lacazette comes on. He converts one little half chance into a nifty goal. By the way, I think that shot was something like a .2 or .25 or .05 XG, and he converts it brilliantly. And what happened after that? City got a little bit of the shits up them for a bit. The game opened up. It looked like maybe we were in it when we really hadn't been most of the game. Goals win Could I games. give you a quick counter? Uh, I mean, I expected it, but yeah, sure. Why not throw it in now? Right. Well, firstly, the managers talked a few times about Lacazette still not quite having the intensity for the Premier League, and this was a, t- a game in which he was going to get absolutely surrounded and battered and bruised as uh, Alexis was by jo- John Stones for pretty much the whole game largely unpunished. So that was one, that was part of his concern. The other thing is he brought him on with about uh, what thir- a little over 30 minutes to go and he scored a goal. Uh, the other aspect of it, and we'll talk about the stats later on and where we suffered by comparison, but one of the areas we did rather well in the stats is XG all the way up until that penalty. Now, I saw the same game you did. Certainly, uh, City deserved to be ahead. And at the end of the day, I don't think the score was in any way unfair to us. But the manager has a point, and we were well in this game, that a couple of decisions, one of them particularly uh, unfair, 
kill this game off. We were well in this. And in that sense, had we not had that offside against us, the manager, you could argue, against City at their home, uh, the best team in Europe. We were well in this, even with his Lacazette choice and maybe because of his Lacazette choice. I mean, I mean, here, here's what I would say. And, and again, it's not that I'm saying you're wrong. Just my opinion Good. is different. My opinion is that we weren't in it until Lacazette came on and scored that goal sure we prior were. to that. Well, a few things. De Bruyne has a chance to slip. I think it was Sterling in an easy pass. He makes all day long, every day, one-on-one with the keeper doesn't do it. Sterling tripped over the ball a few times on the counterattack. They had... Of several counterattacks where they were in wide positions, three on ones and two on ones, and made the wrong pass. I mean, they were uncharacteristically sloppy with their their final ball in the final third. And I I, I think it would have as been... you mentioned, goals are hard to score. Well, right, You're talking about exactly. a lot of near nearlies. No, no, no. I, I know, but Paul, isn't that again, what XG catches? Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't because it's a shot based model. But like, or at least the ones yeah. we looked at. So you know, they those positions didn't lead to shots. Look, what I'm saying is. If you decide, I'm going to go spend... And look, I know $50 million isn't that much anymore. But if you say, center forward's a priority. I'm going to go get a center forward that's going to be my guy. That's going to be the, the position I've needed. The starting striker I need. There has never been a period in Arsene Wenger's career when he had a striker he believed in. He has never, ever, ever rotated him out for tactical reasons. He never Ellie, rotated out Van Persie. Every he never rotated Hen- Henry. Dude, every season. Wenger buys a player, he brings him in gradually, and you can't understand why he isn't starting him. He did this with Chaka last year. Do you remember? I mean, you were Paul, having a meltdown every bloody it, game. Paul, saying, it's, How it's November. Did he buy? It's a big game. You spent $50 million on him. He's a striker. Put him out there to score goals. Like at, He's played enough. The training wheels have to come off. Elliot, check whether Chaka got played every game in November. I know, I know. Or I, even in the big games. But Paul, every, here's the point. What, what are we waiting for? Like, like the season is three is, is a quarter of the way done, or a third of the way done. Like, at, what are we doing? Building him up for next season? Like, we bought him to use him this season. If you wait till December to start playing him in big games, it's too late. It's too late. Comes, By his assessment, he doesn't think he's fully robust enough for this game. He might have been right. He brought him on at. At fifty something minutes, he scored a goal. We were well in it, whether you like it or not. What, is well, what does well in it mean? I mean, what, we were a goal down. We were a goal down. We were playing poorly and overwhelmed by a we team. We weren't that- playing poorly. Poorly, uh, as we've already said. Given who we were against, this this is just reality. To be a goal down against City. With 20-something minutes to go, and as you said, you wanted Lacazette on. He was on against fresh legs. We absolutely could have got another goal with Lacazette. You make a great point. He's exactly who you want on the pitch. He was on. He was with fresh legs. We could easily have drawn this game. We wouldn't have. They'd eventually have beaten us like they beat everybody else. They haven't been beaten at home for feckin' ever. They've won every game at home. So what all are you going right, to do? Right. I get it. Look, We were I, well in it. My my. First of all, I think part of the problem is Alexis and Ozil had really poor games, and they really struggled. And so there's some question as to the impact of making the change, of Awobi coming on, of pushing Alexis forward into that position where he was very isolated and had to do a lot on his own. I mean, Tim, why don't you jump in and, and sort of settle the argument a little bit? I mean, I don't think any of us have a problem with Cochran dropping in as a center back. I mean, it, it's a straight swap, albeit a weird one. And if you want to sort of opine briefly on what you think of Cochran getting the call for that position, I'd be happy to hear it. As far as the Lacazette decision, I mean, what is your opinion on 
bringing in a guy to be your striker and making the tactical decision not to use him in big games. I, I kind of got it, to be honest. Um, I, and that's not to say I definitely agreed with it, but I got it in terms of for this game, if he do, if he doesn't, he clearly at the moment doesn't think that uh, Lacazette can play 90 minutes um, in the Premier League at the moment in terms of intensity. And so he, so he had two choices here. First of all, he obviously wasn't quite brave enough to go with Alexis Ozil and Lacazette. And, you know, if you've got to drop one of them, Lacazette's probably the easiest one at the moment to drop of those three. Maybe maybe Ozil is, but I think he wanted to give Ozil another chance and especially the Tim, way Tim, why, why do you think why do you think Lac- why do you think Lacazette's the easiest one? Yeah, especially given the because, other two are about out the door, right? Yeah, be- just because of more, because A, um, he doesn't really get that involved um, in the game, but also it's largely on the physical side because Wenger hasn't played him for 90 minutes since the first day of the season. So that tells you he doesn't think he can play that long. So I think Arsene probably thought, what would I, when would I rather have him for the first hour or for the last half an hour um, of the game? And particularly when City played, you know, away at Napoli, he probably thought if we can just stay in it for the, and even if we're a goal down kind of on 60 minutes, then I bring him on when perhaps City are tiring. So I think there was that side of it. I don't think that was the whole thing. And then I, do, I think there was he just wasn't quite brave enough to go with uh, Alexis Ozil and Lacazette. He wanted Iwobi in there because Iwobi did um, a pretty decent defensive job against Chelsea. I don't think he repeated that defensive job on this occasion. Um, he, he kind of cost us a goal really well. A few players cost us that first goal, but he kind of gave the ball away. That said, for Lacazette's goal, it all comes from Iwobi doing precisely what he was picked for, where he he beautifully receives the ball um, off the defence, opens his body out, sells De Bruyne uh, down the river. And, you know, he, he was there to kind of try and carry the ball and for a bit of technical assurance. Um, and perhaps a, a bit of physical power as well. Um, I, I don't think that really worked, but I think that that was the logic behind it. And just at the moment, if this is still happening in like February, that Lacazette is not playing, say when we go to Spurs in February, if Lacazette's dropped for that game, yeah, that really tells you something. I really take Paul's point though that uh, quite often, particularly when Arsenal signs a player from another league, he does do this. Omri... Can, can I just stop you just for one December. second, though? Oh, okay. Just because he does this doesn't mean it's right. I mean, do you think it? Do do you do you think it's the right? I mean, just real quick. And again, just because someone else does it doesn't mean it's right either. But you look at Alvaro Morata at Chelsea, and he's a difference maker for them, and he's been playing since his boots hit the ground in England, right? But I think he's been really inconsistent, don't you think? I, d- I've, I don't. I've seen some- I've seen some good performances. I've seen some totally indifferent performances from him as well, um, well he including missed a few the games, game against he? us. He, he missed a couple of games, yeah. But I, I mean, right from the beginning, I, I think he, I think Lukaku as well at United. There's some games he's really on it, and there's some games he's really, really not. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a couple of Chelsea games where I've just thought Morata looked a bit floundering. I've seen some where he looks brilliant. Um, and I don't, I don't doubt that he's, you know, the brilliant games are more representative of his quality, and that's more what he'll show over time. But I, I do think he's been a little bit up and down. Fair enough. 
um, probably as Lacazette has. Um, so and and yeah, Arsene does do this with uh, particularly with forward players as well. You know, Henri didn't make that transition till kind of late November. I mean, Van Persie probably different because we signed him quite young. Um, you know, quite quite a lot of these players kind of go through this. As for the just kind of quick thoughts on the centre half, I mean, I think he he had a real choice between Coquelin and El Nenny. And on one hand, um, I think what he'd really like to have done is just been able to clone the two players because um, I think Coquelin, he went with Coquelin probably because he has that aggressiveness and he wanted someone up Aguero's backside to stop him turning on the edge of the box and particularly Aguero likes to turn and slip in the two inside forwards and I think he wanted someone to kind of really aggressively attack the ball and actually Coquelin did that very, very well. If you look at his interception stats, his tackling stats, very, very good. But obviously the problem he gives you is you can't play out of the back, whereas Elneny can. Um, And I think something like 80% of Czech's passes were long balls in the end because City squeezed us up and you can't pass to Coquelin in that uh, in that kind of environment, whereas you probably can pass to Elneny. Um, and I think Wenger showed in pre-season, I mean, one minute he was really enthusiastic about the Elneny project at centre-half. Then did we play Atletico Madrid in the Emirates Cup? And that was almost like, well, here's your, here's your big defensive test. And he was found a bit wanting. Mm. And all of a sudden, Wenger said, yeah, he's not a centre-back, he'll never play there. Um, whereas, you know, playing in the Europa League when we're dominating possession slightly different but I think for a game like this where we were going to come under a lot of pressure he wanted a, a kind of more aggressive defensive type but at the same time we really missed someone to play out the back so but o- overall I think really as much as we go into the granular tactical detail Man City made two changes um, from their last lineup they bought in Kyle Walker and um, I forget the second player they bought in it might have been uh, Leroy Sane Arsenal made two changes from their last lineup. They brought in a Wobi and Coquelin, and um, that that's the difference, really. Um, City brought in a couple of players who'd fetch fifty million uh, in the transfer market, and, and we brought in um, a young kid who's developing and a utility player. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we did have one, one of the guys was that we could have played was fifty, but again, you know, yeah, yeah, not yeah. to belabor the point. Yeah. Uh, so, real Clive, just yeah. real quick, I mean, because. I, I, w- I want to move on. I want to get Scott's uh, uh, statistical analysis of it so we, we can dive into a little more of the, the granular detail that Tim referenced. Um, but, I mean, for me, and look, I realize I'm here to be the hyster- hysterical irritant that sparks debate, um, so I'm, I'm doing the job the best I can. But like, You're doing very well, my friend. Thanks, sir. very well. Um, you know, I, I am of the opinion that, like, the the era of like building a team over decades is gone and that like each individual season has value and the season has to be approached as its own experience and that we needed a striker to lead the line for us and get us goals and and you know my problem here is i never felt we were going to keep a clean sheet i don't think any of us would have expected that and and by the way any analysis i'm making here i want to uh, remind everybody I don't think there's any humiliation in losing to an exceptional city side. We started the whole conversation with Tim and I discussing that. But um, I think when you have only Alexis toiling by himself up front, the two things we know are one is he's going to get disconnected from the other departments. He's going to get frustrated. He's going to be trying to do too much on his own. He's not going to have anyone to link up with. But also, he's the only guy you really trust to score a goal. And in a game where you expect you're probably going to concede one or two, 
I think you need that extra goal scoring option, that extra threat. Um, and we didn't have it. I mean, a last word on the decision not to start Lacazette. Yeah, I think it's down. We're debating it now, and and Tim and Paul have given a good sort of historical view on how he approaches these situations. Yeah, but I don't think so. The reason, <laughs> the reason why, but the reason why we're debating it vociferously is we don't trust him like we used to do. We know he, when he used yeah. to do it, no one questioned him. He's lost the benefit right, of the but, doubt, right? <laughs> but now we question him. Now we question him. I, I can see why, you know, I can see why he wanted to play Coquelin. But you know what? There's a hierarchy in the dressing room. There's a pecking order. He played one player in centre of the defence multiple times. The moment came in a big game where we had to bring somebody else in. And he put somebody there for his first ever game. And that person only touched the ball 29 times. So we can't be Arsenal. We can't play. We can't play amongst our back three. We can't get a breather. We can't. We're just turning the ball over regularly. And our gaps between our lines are getting bigger. And we are getting passed around. And that was a problem. We couldn't get out. We couldn't get out because we were tired. So we took a decision to press and tackle. But really, we're Arsenal. We play the ball. We have more touches than we normally do. So I would have gone the other way just because he's had experience. Right? But the thing is, the why we're debating it so hard is we don't trust him the same. When the lineup comes out, we all raise our eyes and think, "What are we doing now?" You know, and uh, with the centre forward again, there's an I called it. There's an argument for it, but I was hoping he wouldn't do it. I was hoping he'd say, "Come on, this is what we are. We built up to this. I've eased him into it. This is the big moment." And no, he didn't play him. And I thought, oh, "No, come on, trust yourself. Trust yourself. Believe in yourself." Believe in your philosophy. Don't be nervous. Don't be stressed. Make them worried. And I felt um, we just made them more assured. And um, I, I think it's a very, very bad decision. And I also think, Tim is why I asked him the question, why do you think he dropped Lacazette? I actually think he was the easiest to drop because there'll be less confrontation. He There'd definitely confront- avoids confrontation now. There's just he no question in my did. mind he does that. He he didn't want to drop us because of the headlines. He didn't want to drop Sanchez because of the headlines. But he could drop the new boy. He could find an excuse to say he's not quite there yet. Well, the new boy scored six goals this season. He's our top goal scorer. He's doing the business. Judge him on the metrics that really, really count. Top goal scorer goals. by three goals. You know, I mean, and I, goals, I realize Alexis hasn't goals. played that much yet. Conversion, goals, goals, goals. Judge him by what you bought him for. Don't judge him. Similar to what we did at Anfield, we made a nice decision because it was less confrontational. I think we're. I think he's betraying his own philosophy by doing that, or even having the thought protest amongst ourselves that we believe that because we've seen it before and that could happen. The fact I even can think it tells me he's doing something wrong, and I'd like to see him be a little bit stronger. And in his own beliefs and manage players appropriately when they when they do well and when they don't. Yeah, I, Paul, I mean, I, I want to give you the last word on this before we go to Scott's section and, and just say, like, in uh, preface this by saying, you know, I think you referenced, you know, that maybe Lacazette would have gotten physically beat up a little by Stones or, you know, maybe he doesn't feel he's ready or, you know, whatever the, whatever the issues are. But, like, I guess my question is, what's the worst thing that can happen? I, look, if you play a midfielder who's not ready... It can blow up your entire game. If you play a, a defender who's not ready, it can blow up your entire game. The great thing about a striker is he's kind of there, especially in a game where you're going to be pinned back quite a bit. You know, it's one thing when you're trying to unlock a, a, a packed defense and you have 70% of the ball, but when you know that's not going to be the case and you might have a few chances and you need to convert them, 
I guess what I would say to you, Paul, is like, what's the downside to throwing him in the deep end in this game? He he is your leading goal scorer. He is the best finisher you have at the club. He's the guy who you bought, paid fifty million for those qualities. Like, what is the downside to to throwing him in the deep end there? Like, what what what's the worst thing that happens? He doesn't succeed in that situation. I mean, that's what he's there for to to sink or swim in these big games, right? Yeah, but what's the manager there to do? He's there to make big decisions. And I, I get it. I'm saying, what? What's the downside? Again, of course, the, of course. I'm saying, what's the downside? The downside to playing him is he then has Lacazette, Sanchez, and Ozil as his front three, which is very likely to put an ungodly amount of pressure on those players behind. There's a reason why Iwobi's touches were uh, counter diagonal to his starting position. He was balancing out Ozil. That's what Iwobi allowed him to do. Um, we, we talked about, uh, you know, judging uh, things on stats and goals and Lacazette has proven this, that and the other. Well, let's judge the game on stats and goals. We were within one until a shitty offside goal. So if you want to do that, you got to say being within one and having the, the, the flow of the game coming back in your direction, having uh, Lacazette on with fresh legs, you can say it was kind of working. Now, yeah, yeah, I follow. Look, I it's and I don't totally disagree with that. But again, you know, I point to the Liverpool game, for example, early in that Liverpool don't, game. Don't no, point no, to the Liverpool no, game. You, it's an absolute anomaly. I know, but, but, go but ahead. Paul, let me because I'm pointing to it for a different reason. I'm not. There were all the issues in that game. I understand that. But what I'm saying is, early in that game, we created the first chance, the first real clear chance, and it fell to Welbeck, and he didn't convert from a fairly, uh, fairly quality position to score a goal. Um, and if it's Lacazette, and if he converts it, and if it's 1-0 to the Arsenal, I mean, do we then go on to lose 4-1? I mean, I, I'm not trying to write revisionist history. I'm saying it's an area of the pitch in the big games where the the ability to convert your chances is amplified many, many, many times over, right? Yeah, but uh, aren't you the one, no offense, Mantelius, who even this <laughs> season mm-hmm. keeps saying that you love Alexis up front? Well, no, 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 no. I, I have always said I, I love Alexis up front for a variety of reasons. One, I think it minimizes our downside. You think our, it's his best position? Well, I think it's been his best position for us prior to, yep. remember, up until two games ago, I had never seen Alexis Ozil and Lacazette together. I think since Lacazette has arrived, I have been, I, I think, pretty consistent in saying I want to see Alexis Ozil and Lacazette and anything our season is going to amount to is going to depend on those three playing together. So it's it's not that I don't like Alexis up front because I do. It's, it's that it's I think we have a superior. It's been my preferred position before Lacazette arrived. I what I'm saying is, with Lacazette available for selection, my preference is that those three play because I think they are our three most skillful players. They are our three best attacking options. It gives Look, us the most ge- chance to score a goal. Sure, and in general, that's true. But in a in a, a point of the season and against a team where we're going to be starved, we're never going to be more pressed in our in the attacking third by another team than we are against City. And you're going to put those three players, Ozil and Lacazette, who can be almost invisible, even though they have a few quality touches in a game, and the giveaway merchant, Sanchez. 
and you don't think our midfield's going to be absolutely battered beyond what it was? Well, I'd turn to Tim in that respect and say that I think what Tim said in the last pod, and I, I, I realize that you were not available for that due to your Walgreens commitments, but um, yeah. uh, I think Tim had said I'd play those three and cut them loose up the pitch and, and kind of disconnect them in a way and, and try to bypass the press and play it to those guys and let them use the space they find behind the press. And and again, it's all theoretical, Paul. I fully acknowledge that that plan may not have worked. I'm just saying that's the plan I liked conceptually. Uh, l- let's move on because we could debate this for sure. an hour and we have so much more to get to. Um, we're going to go to Scott and Tim. I want to ask you about the start of the game. Um, so let's get Tim's thoughts on the statistical side of the game, including some unflattering things about Francis Coughlin. I'm sorry, Paul. And then we'll come right back. Now, it's true, you may not need data to tell you that Francis Coughlin is not the second coming of Lionel Messi, but data can help us understand the match, and that's why Scott's here. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his statistical analysis, his brilliance, his uh, his carefully curated information is on uh, crabstats.blogspot.com. And Scott, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. So, first things first, um, I thought this was kind of a shit sandwich, but there's some evidence that maybe we had more success against City than their competition. So let's start with that. Statistically, where did we excel, or in quotes, excel, in ways that maybe the uh, City's opponents have not been excelling this season? Yeah, all in all, it wasn't a a great game, and you you look at the XG, and it was a lot closer, flattering. You'll talk about that later, and I'm sure everybody's seen it by now. Um, But the one thing that was a little bit more surprising to me um, was if you look at the touches, um, the final third touches specifically, um, that was actually fairly close. Um, Manchester City had 157, Arsenal 144, and uh, surprisingly, this was um, Manchester City's worst outing um, in terms of final third touches and 18-yard box touches um, with 27 um, for the 18-yard box. So by, Is that by a lot? Well. I mean, were they just under their average, under you know the lowest of the season? How, how far below their usual performance were they? Uh, quite a bit. Um, they average, uh, I believe, 35 a game. So this is a, a pretty good uh, deviation. I think last week they had something ridiculous like 45. So Touches in the box. Wow. Yes. And how many so, again did they have against us? Uh, 27. Okay, so we, at least compared to them, kept them out of the box uh, at a rate that they're not used to, but vis-a-vis what we're used to, which is probably more relevant because obviously they're not playing quality teams like Arsenal every week, um, this wasn't such a hot shit performance from us in terms of the amount we allowed vis-a-vis our performance, right? Exactly, and this is also the worst that Arsenal have done this year. Um, you know, tied with uh, the Liverpool match, which also how, how did was... the Liverpool match go? I can't remember. We did yeah, really well there, I, right? I think I've kind of yeah expunged that one from my memory. Okay, so in terms of their touches in our box, it's tied for our worst performance this season with the Liverpool match. Yep. Okay. And yeah, both of those are quite a bit away from you know the the next highest, which was Watford at twenty one, which was another one that I've seemed to have forgotten about. So what, while this tells us basically that City have been the juggernaut, we think they have been, and maybe they weren't quite the juggernaut against us that they have been. They were a juggernaut as compared to what we've been used to experiencing this season. Now, the thing I think is interesting is you mentioned we were relatively close to them in final third touches, but since they dominated us in possession, where did they have the touch advantage? Where did we see a significant drop off? Uh, so it was in the the middle third. Um, yeah, they had 360 touches in the middle third compared to our 245. Um, they also had a, a 50 touch advantage in the defensive third. And, and that's the midfield. So, so in other words, I mean, essentially, 
while we were able to get it forward and, and get into their attacking third at times, we had no control of the midfield, and I, I think that's borne out by what we saw. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're going to get it into their final third, uh, at least on par with what they're doing, then you would expect you'd create more chances. That didn't happen, and the players who probably have to take responsibility for that, uh, to some extent anyway, would be Ozone Alexis. Big game, big exactly. players. Yeah, they're definitely. supposed to step up. It didn't seem like they stepped up, and, and from what you're seeing in the data, they most certainly did not. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, when you when you get that kind of touches and you have the two superstar players that you're going to depend on, um, you'd like to see more cutting edge. Um, combined, they only created two shots, and both of those were from Alexis. So, Ozil, who's supposed to be the, the world-class playmaker, uh, didn't create anything, um, had just the one shot um, that he took. So, he was pretty anonymous. Um, Alexis had just the one shot, which is uh, really quite the anomaly for him, and that was the, the really long free kick thing that he took that was, you know, not well taken at all. Um, and the other thing that was really um, quite surprising was how bad Ozil was passing in the final third. He's normally um, one of the best passers in the final third in the league, actually in all of Europe, um, where he passes at almost 90%. Um, today, or yesterday, he was at 50%, 9 of 18 overall. Um, and Alexis isn't necessarily known for completing at a high percentage, um, but you usually expect him to create one or two moments of magic. Um, but that didn't come off, and he was 9 of 17, so he still had the same um, tendencies of giving the ball away. So when our star players got the ball in the final third, which they did with reasonable regularity, they didn't have their usual uh, precision, their usual quality to deliver the ball the way they needed to. And obviously that leads to a paucity of chances. But I, I do wonder to some extent if Iwobi's presence there changes that. Obviously Alexis playing isolated as the center forward, fewer runners for Ozil to play it to. Out of curiosity, did Iwobi show up in the final third? Do you ha- happen to have handy how he performed in that area of the pitch? I do. One second. So Awobi was a he wasn't the best player on the on the pitch obviously um, and I don't think I would have started him but he ended up with uh, 17 final third touches um, which is the fourth highest so uh, Kalasinac, um led the team in final third touches which is you know not usually your ideal thing especially um, if you're worried about getting counterattacked on the flanks but okay <laughs> yeah um, and then Ozil and uh, Xhaka were um, second with 19, and then you find um, Awobi um, and Alexis at 17. So interesting. I mean, if you consider that the front three, so to speak, were Alexis, Ozil, and Awobi, um, Awobi probably dropping a little deeper. Maybe that was the, by design, but certainly not getting into that final third and contributing in the way he could have. I mean, calling into question again, obviously, something we'll get into a lot on this pod, the issue of whether Lacazette should have been starting. But, I mean, obviously, it wasn't the best day for uh, Ozone Alexis. Francis Coughlin, you know, a lot of people, I think, on social media and in general feel that while it was a weird choice, he wasn't the problem. But statistically, he had an epically poor performance, um, regardless of what people think of, of his inclusion. What showed up in the stats is pretty abominable. Do you want to just sort of uh, elaborate on how poor his performance was statistically? Yeah, so I know we've talked about it on the pod previously, so my, my passing value added stat. So this is, this is fairly new, so um, I've been collecting it since the, the beginning of this year, and I have it for all of Europe. Um, 
And so Coughlin's number of 0.3, and that's uh, correct. It's a, a negative number. So he was definitely not adding anything with his passing. Um, and if we want to put some context on where that so wait, ranks. Negative so 0.3. Yes. Okay. That's bad. That sounds bad. So how's that rank? Um, so there's been um, about 15,000 um, players so far that have you know made passes in the top five leagues. And this ranks at the 0.2 percentile. So he is... Um, so it's one of the bottom performances. Than, yeah, yeah. One so of the bottom performances yeah. of the entire data collection period over what you said, 15,000 performances? Yeah. So, and a lot nice. of the people that are going to be worse than him are going to be goalkeepers. And with goalkeepers, you know, there's a lot of um, kick the ball long and not high completion percentages. So from a, a defender, this is pretty bad. I mean, would you say arguably it, it may be the worst outfield performance in your database for, for that statistic? I, I can't say for certain it's the worst. It's going to be but close. I, it's going to be, yes, in the top 1% of worst performances. What about your usual garden well. variety defender stats, headers, tackles, interceptions, that sort of thing? So, yeah, he was three for four and tackling. Um, going back and watching it, I think at least two of those were on his own making for his own um, passes that he um, misplayed. So he had to go save himself. Um, he was 0 for 1 on aerial duels. So, I mean, you know, he's a, a short little guy, so you're not expecting him to, to create a lot of there. He had one clearance. Uh, I didn't see any interceptions in the stats. Um, it was just, to me, not a, an all-around good day. Um, if you want to like even break down where his passing mistakes were, he was 5 of 9 in the defensive third, where normally you're going to see 90-95% passing there, so a 50% passing rate in the defensive third is absolutely abysmal. Um, he was 10 of 14 in the middle third, so even there you're expecting 80% plus. And yeah. The other part that's even worse is it's not like he was really just doing long passes, hoofing it out of there. It was 14 of 20 on short passes, so couldn't even do the, the short, simple ones to try to get it out of danger. Yeah, and that's it, obviously really bad when you're sitting deep and those incompletions lead to you being under pressure immediately. So while Francis Cochran to the eye may not have seemed like the problem, certainly statistically he put forth a performance befitting a potentially not great player playing in a position he's not used to playing in against one of the best teams in Europe. Just want to finish really quickly with... Um, Granit Xhaka, I mean, so much focus on him this season, not been his best season. One thing, though, that I, I seem to notice about Xhaka is that you know, when we are playing well, both on XG Chain and PPVA and some of those uh, open play, build-up of play kind of statistics, he tends to be near or at the top for us, and not the case uh, in this match, correct? No, it was not his best match. Um, overall, he was a 84% passing, so it's a little bit better there. Yeah, so that tip. kind of do you, do you think yeah, that? So I mean, that could impart a little bit. Impart maybe to the fact that there was a bit of an extra body in midfield that that Cockle was stepping forward a little, that Iwobi was dropping back a little, and he had more than just the one option. It definitely could have been because um, uh, I looked at the pass maps and it looked like Ramsey also played a little bit more uh, uh, on level with him. You know, they were on plane as opposed to clearly having one in front of the other. And it definitely could have been the case, but it also, because of how far back um, City pushed us, um, the, the touch maps are going to be a little bit um, skewed that way. But yeah, I think it was, he had more people around him, um, but I think he was also not really progressing the ball very well because his um, his passing value added was 0 0.02, which would be um, about, a, you know, the 40th percentile. So not a not a bad, bad day, but definitely not with something that you'd want um, in a big game where you need one of your uh, most expensive ever signings to, to contribute.
Yeah, and I mean, that would be among the worst games he's had in that statistic this season, I'm guessing, if not the worst. Definitely, yes. All right, so I mean, all in all, I mean, the the positive, we got into their final third. We kept them out of our final third and box at a higher rate than they're used to. The negative is it's the most times we've allowed anyone uh, to pass the ball in our area this season, along with the Liverpool defeat, and it sounds like um, some epically poor performances from our best players and not much better from our worst players. So all around, not a surprising result. Well, I guess it leaves it to the group to break down exactly uh, what went wrong and rant and rave and do all the stuff that has no statistical analysis involved. So, Scott, I appreciate it. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his uh, fine work at crabstats.blogspot.com. And, Scott, uh, enjoy the two weeks away from Arsenal. I think we all desperately need it. We'll talk to you after, your, I guess, the North London Derby. Yep. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, man. All right. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone. Okay, so that gives us a little bit of a statistical framework for discussing the game, uh, but really I would rather just descend into a hysterical debate and uh, argument. Uh, as soon as humanly possible. But Tim, the one thing that I think is interesting is we actually came out of the gates pretty well here. I mean, this this game started about as well as we could have expected for, I don't know, what would you say, 15 minutes or so? Um, was there anything you, yeah. you saw us doing or that worked really well in the early stages that we stopped doing? Was it just that when they scored the goal, we were rocked mentally and didn't recover? Or was there something specific that we just weren't able to keep up with because it was a bright start to the game? Yeah, it was. And uh, full disclosure, I missed the first five minutes due to um, due Plastic. to, to drain delays. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought um, the first kind of 10 to 15 minutes were very positive for us. Uh, I, th- I thought we had a game plan to kind of go into a four five one shape um, off the ball and try and keep um, those lines fairly compact and close to each other. Um, and, you know, we know if City have a weakness, it's defensively. And um, you can see it as well. I, I was in the, the kind of third tier. So I had like a, a really good overall. Like I was quite high up, a quite overall view of City's shape. And they push up very, very high. And their defensive shape is not necessarily brilliant. It's not particularly rigid. Um, they, they leave like a couple back. And they're not necessarily in in a line, um, Ottomendi and Stones. I, I don't think that's. I still don't think that's a great partnership. And Fernandinho um, manfully tries to fill the gaps they leave. So they're not great going backwards. Um, and actually, I, th- I think we kind of exploited that a little bit in the first the first ten to fifteen minutes. And there are a couple of times where we got in kind of between Kyle Walker. Um, and Otamendi on on that side, and I think that's that's one of the reasons that um, playing Alexis up front, at least initially, you know, looked like it might make a bit of sense because he really likes either being in that kind of position or playing the ball into it. And uh, actually, our, our, probably our best chance of the half when uh, we broke away and Ramsey had that shot. That that was in that little kind of corridor of space, and I think we we were really aiming for that. Um, I think the the kind of problem was um, we lost the press a little bit. Um, it became a bit intermittent, a bit disorganised, whereas at first it was very, you know, Wobi, Alexis, very, very on top of it. I think we kind of lost our way um, with that a bit. We lost a bit of faith in it when Man City really kind of got into the game and started controlling the ball. I was really disappointed in Ozil in that respect because... Um, 
I like I get really frustrated with Giroud um, because he, like he just he, he's not even like bad at pressing. He just doesn't. He he just does not do it. He will not do it. He just even if a defender's two three yards away from him, he won't close him down. He's got no interest in engaging in that side of the game. Um, Ozil, I think, can do that, and I think he can do that quite intelligently at times in a very subtle way. He um, he kind of quit on it on a, on the press off the ball, and uh, I think he kind of cut Alexis and Awobi adrift a little bit, and he became very very easy to play around. Um, and also, I, I think our, you know our fullbacks were up very very high, and uh, if you watch Adrian Clark's breakdown um, of the game, which I, I really recommend he kind of pointed this out the fullbacks were up really high and something that not just was happening on Sunday a really really repeat theme of this season is Arsenal giving the ball away stupidly in their own half and uh, we kept doing it again and um, you know Kolasinac and Bellerin were were quite committed Um, but the reason they were committed is I think because we had such a positive start for the first 10 minutes or so and they thought ah we can uh we can make some hay here and, and Bellerin was finding some space down that right flank and he was perhaps just, I don't know whether he was too keen to run into it or whether his, the, the kind of lack of technical assurance of his teammates let him down. But it's, it's a familiar problem for Arsenal um, and a really unusual one to have in an Arsene Wenger team, but we just don't have enough technical quality in the middle of the pitch and it's, it's really telling on us and it, it told on us and it, it robbed us, I think, of a good start because we just couldn't control and keep the ball. Yeah, and it, it's it's not something we haven't seen before. I would suggest that there have been other big games we've come out of the gate pressing and energetic and not been able to sustain that for one reason or another. And I wonder if it's just because it's not something we practice enough and that we are drilled at enough to know how to do it um, over the course of a, of a game because it's also not as coordinated. It's very individualistic, right? I mean, if, if you watch the way uh, City press, it's it's a coordinated movement. Um, and it's very hard to get past. And Clive, one of the things that I feel like we tried to do is be a little bit over elaborate in our area, in, in our defensive third. And, and we tried to dribble around them a lot and it didn't go very well. We were successful with something like half of our dribbles, a really low percentage of dribbles, and, and we tried a bunch and they didn't come off. And I mean, for you, is is one of the things that we're just not doing enough at, at Arsenal right now generally, but did not do in this game, is one-touch, accurate, simple passes to one another. I, I think yep. it's it's one of those things that seems so obvious, but the players aren't receiving the ball and giving the ball quickly, and they're not making themselves available enough for each other. Yeah, and, you know, I always go on about physicality. That's my number one thing I always look for. But actually, and Tim always brings me back to earth and he talks about technical security. And, and this was a day for technical security, but technical security under pressure. Not under pressure from Everton, but under pressure from City that are coordinated. And that was the reason why I thought Iwobi would play, because he can give us that. He just didn't do it enough, right? He didn't do it enough. Ozil didn't do it enough. Ozil didn't take enough initiative. Alexi tried to take too much initiative. And and that's where we were. That's where we were left with. There was one particular bit that really stood out for me between, it's a comparison between Kevin De Bruyne and, and Ozil. So obviously on the goal, De Bruyne pops it off, goes around Ramsey. The centre packs are too deep. So there's space there for him to have a touch, shift and hit. Right? Goal. Through the legs, side netting bit unfortunate a consequence of losing the ball 
second effort, momentum, one yard away from where you should be. That's all you need for a shot. Goal. It's an award we giveaway that leads to that, by the way, and I know that's a little yeah, bit harsh. Yeah, and a Kalasinic giveaway as well, right? So, but it comes from multiple gives away in our own in our own half. But that is why Roby was picked for. That's why I remember I told you about him driving, mm-hmm. receiving, and driving. He did it on the goal. He he laid off a very sloppy pass, and, and we got picked off. Right, so that but there was a bit in the second half. I think it was a clearance from the right back side of the area. Went straight over to Sanchez, a big long diagonal. He's done these normal stand people up. He dribbled inside. He swept back out to Ozil on the right-hand corner of the area. Sanchez makes a run. Three people follow him. I'm thinking, go on, son. Step inside and hit it. He just laid off a three-yard pass to Sanchez with three people around him. And basically, they dispossessed him and ran away. And I thought to myself, you're meant to be one of our leading lights. That is the moment at 2-1 where you step inside and you smash a shot towards the goal. But he is so deferent. And when people talk about him going missing, I, I, I always want to defend him. But all it takes is just a step inside. You've got the runner, three people going one direction, step inside and hit it. And he takes a deferent option. And I think we we, we, we really got to sort this out because that's stopping us from really getting to the next level and I know he has great games I'm not trying to pick any individual apart because the investment that City have made I mean I think they've got 13 clubs around the world in their global system the amount of money they've spent on their training ground alone on their academy alone I mean they're in a different stratosphere to us backed by a country we all know we all know the pounds the pound note differential but when it comes down to we've got, we've got some pretty high quality players in our team as well and what you hope for it's just a level of, this is my moment. I'm going to seize it. And I just didn't feel that. I felt we were a little bit reticent and deferent in how we played. And that was the comparison that I noted. And So, yeah, it's just, um, I'm disappointed. But I, I am not going to be massively surprised because this actually sadly is our level I'm afraid yeah uh, look and that again the reason I started the pod the way I did is because I think whatever debate and discussion we have or argument or screaming fight or knife fight or whatever we have about this game is in the context of a competition that we acknowledge was not one where we expected to be equals on the day and may maybe isn't the best measuring stick for where we are Um, and, and honestly maybe that's handicapping us more than we deserve maybe that's giving us a little a little bit too easy a ride because you have to ask, you know, how far away from City should we expect to be? But they really are a top side on top form with a top manager and a top organizational structure, and it is what it is. Uh, Paul, why don't you add on, on what Clive was, was uh, discussing, though? And, and maybe if you could, I, I, I kind of want to touch on where we lost the game in midfield a bit because as, stat, as uh, Scott's stat section kind of pointed out, the mid- midfield touches is where we were really overwhelmed. And, and once again, you know, the ramsey Shaka partnership, which we've focused so much on, uh, did not seem to be able to cope in midfield, whereas in games like against Chelsea, for example, they've done much better. Yeah, bingo. Um, we talked about kind of spilling the ball uh, in our third, trying to play out, turning the ball over. And at the end of the day, um, I... I'm going to say something I don't want to be misinterpreted. When Jack Wilshire came on, you suddenly saw the answer. And I don't mean that it's Jack Wilshire, but 
because he came on at a time where maybe City were starting to relax. And I don't think Jack right now is the answer. Maybe he will be in a few months if he keeps going. But you kind of saw what he can do that Cazorla can do. Takes the ball, turns, uh, breaks the line, uh, spins a player, and suddenly he's on the other side of them. Something none of our midfielders are even close to doing. Ramsey's probably the closest in that he can do a give and go and sprint ahead, but it's it's hit and miss. Uh, Chaka can't. Uh, both of them. I seem think that was Nadi's song, right? Or yeah, the- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, again, I don't want to. This isn't to the the baying wolves who say Wilshire's the answer. Uh, I would love him to be. Uh, there was a time when he might have been. And maybe there's a time when he will be. I don't think that time's now. But you saw that 10 minutes, what he could do against maybe a slightly relaxed, slightly tired City. So it was maybe a little bit of a false read. But what we've seen Cazorla do so often in the mm-hmm. past. Yeah. Well, he, he, is, lines, he was the answer. We know that. Around. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now he's got a piece of his arm attached to his ankle. So. So, tragic. I mean, that's Absolute not a good sign. Fucking tragic. Yeah. Only at Arsenal. Yeah. I thought I thought we'd exhausted all of that with like the Wilshire, uh, Ramsey, uh, Eduardo, Eduardo Diaby. stuff. Yeah. But uh, oh my God, we found a whole new angle. Poor old. He, he uh, literally Santi. has his arm tattoo on his ankle. <laughs> yeah, I haven't followed, it, followed it too up. closely. They grafted on one of his children onto his ankle. Is that right? Yeah, it's. Just disturbing. Uh, Tim, um, uh, so, I mean, it, it is funny. There, there's a screenshot going around, and I'm, I'm loath to use screenshots as being too much of a reference, right, because they're just a, a moment caught in time, and, and they can be misleading. Mm. But there is an interesting screenshot making the rounds of five of our attacking players standing in a line directly across the yeah. pitch. Have you seen it? Um, yeah. And, and it they've, does, they've been a lot like that recently. Well, that's my point. I mean, does it seem to you that, like, just – Arsene Wenger's teams used to make these pretty triangles, right? And to be fair, yeah. any three points makes a triangle, but like, unless they're in a line, to be, to be fair. Um, but, you know, that, that to me is what seems so obvious is the old Arsenal that could make these triangles and ping, ping, ping it, you know, to each other, you could break a press that way. What, is, is it really just as simple as the technical quality isn't there? Is it about movement and understanding where to be to help your teammate? What's missing that we don't seem to be able to play out of the back quickly and on the first touch especially when teams press us or contest the midfield? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of all of those things. So, I mean, what's happened is we've we've lost all of the players that can do that. Mikel Arteta, Santi Cazorla, Thomas Rosicki, Jack, all, all of our kind of technical players who are able to do that have gone. Um, we've got like half a Jack Wilshire um, left and, you know, not to rake over old ground, but for some reason, Arsene Wenger decided not to try and replace any of them, um, which I thought at the time was madness and everything I've seen since suggests it's madness. We don't have that real focal point in midfield. Like Xhaka and Ramsey, it's an all right midfield combination, but really it's it's not, you know, it's, it's not of the quality of the sorts of midfield combinations that, that win you the league. Look at um, the way, you know, Man City are kind of a benchmark here. Fernandinho, Silva and De Bruyne. Um, that, that's quite cavalier and that's quite attacking. But there are three points of a triangle there and they all do quite different things, but they're all interconnected. 
with Arsenal, we don't have that technical focal point. Um, we lost it when we lost Cazorla and we haven't tried to replace it for reasons that I really wish someone would ask Arsene Wenger um, in a press conference why he didn't consider that a priority this summer um, because I, I think it's so obvious it was such a massive priority. So not only is the technical ex- the kind of the technical level not there, but we empty our midfield. Um, you know, and, and we've spoken a bit about Ramsey moving forward too quickly. And, you know, Xhaka's not the guy. I mean, and it's kind of unfair on Granit Xhaka, but Xhaka is also not the guy who's going to... Like, he's not Fernandinho, you know, or Casemiro. That, that's not who he is. He, he's not that guy that's going to hold the midfield together. He's a deep-lying playmaker. You know, Xavi Alonso um, is a deep-lying playmaker, but look at who we always had next to him. He had Vidal or Mascherano. Um, or someone like that, you know, he, he wasn't just left on his own. And yeah, I, I think I think it happens with a lot of our players where basically, and I see this all the time from where I sit at the Emirates, is that there's no sense of build up. There's no sense of having two lines. So I, and I spoke about this about the first mm. half of the Swansea game. So every time Swansea cleared the ball, we didn't have that second line of midfield to right. We're taking the ball back and we're penning you in. It was just everyone was up front. And then when Swansea cleared the ball, we were on the back foot. There's no patience in that team. Everyone just goes and stands up front or they just wait for Alexis to take the ball and do something with it. There's no, yeah, there's there's no. You don't want your players on plane, right? You want them to progress up the pitch in a logical way so that you have options forward, backward, laterally. And our players are just sort of like on plane, either in defense or in attack. And listen to something Pep Guardiola said about a week ago. I think I, I didn't get the context or the question, but he said something like a backwards pass is really brave because it's the first step to a better move. But we don't have like a backwards pass. What you know, we don't have this sense of that's the first line of attack. Well, this I can think of an El Nenny backwards pass that maybe I wouldn't recommend again. <laughs> <laughs> and to but be fair know, to Coquelin, he has a negative PPVA. Which means he passes backwards well, a lot? No, actually, it means he, he loses the ball. <laughs> oh, damn it, <laughs> damn it. It means he passes to the guy sitting in the front row. Um, but, but yeah, so, it, you know, there should be, like, almost like a dotted line, like, Jacko, your deep-lying playmaker, then there's Ramsey, then there's Ozil, then there's Alexis, then there's Lacazette, and they should be a bit more, you know, staggered so that you can see a dotted line through the picture where you build the play. But instead, what happens is either Xhaka gets the ball in the centre circle and everyone just runs up front <laughs> and waits yeah. for him to boot it forward. They can see his or, backsides. Yeah, yeah. Or they just wait for Alexis to drop back and then see if he can thread the eye of a needle and he'll try it 15 times in a game and it will work once. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really terrible way to try and play football. And it's, it's you know, Arsene Wenger's teams have often been technical to a fault. And I think that's why this isn't picked up on, because people still have this stereotypical view that Arsenal is a team of little elfish playmakers, and it's not. We don't even have, like, well, we have one in Ozil. We have none in our midfield. We have none sitting on the bench. Um, But people still think it's like 2008, and we're this team of wayfish players. And, you know, this is an Arsene Wenger team that doesn't have any technicians, and it's it's astounding. It's, It's... a really shapeless um, midfield. And, and you know, like people ask what sort of 
team as Arsenal. Well, a, a team usually gets its identity from its midfield and Arsenal's midfield is the absolute embodiment of the whole team in that it doesn't have an identity. Well, it's one person. It doesn't right really now. exist. <laughs> yeah. It's one guy. It's Granite Shack. I mean, yeah. by the way, we could make a hell of a long and pretty hilarious YouTube compilation of Arsenal players receiving the ball and all their teammates running away from it like it's a grenade. <laughs> I mean, you see Shaka get the ball, and literally players are sprinting out of the picture to, to get away from it. It's bizarre. Um, the linking play, before we move on from midfield, Clive, you wanted to come back on. Uh, by the way, yeah. can I just ask you guys a quick uh, uh, rules-based question? Because I do think we, you know, the refereeing is an issue. We don't discuss it on this podcast because we think, by and large, it's boring. Everyone can go on Twitter and say, boo-hoo, the referees hate us. We don't need to do that here, but... Are we running into a problem? Sandy Cazorla does want to come back and play for us. If he receives it on his right foot, is he going to get called for handball? Because that could potentially be a huge problem. Um, all right, Clive, on the center midfield, yeah. By the way, I thought the referee was starstruck on the day. I thought he read too many headlines, and I think he was overly impressive Man City, and that's how the game went. On center midfield... Yeah, he, he, he didn't have a good day. I, I, And I'm going to say something I don't usually say, which I think... The offside goal did change the game, and even though we may not have deserved to get a result, I think we were in the game in a very open period of the game and as likely to score as yeah. they were in that moment. So I do think it changed the game, but it's hard to say on balance we we didn't get what we deserved. But finish up on center midfield. I want to talk Ozone Alexis briefly. Yeah, I think, well, obviously, we've spoken about the hub-and-spoke one-man midfield. City do it up to a point, but they keep their distances smaller. And what I like about them, they, they're, they're slightly more positionally aware. So De Bruyne really has that inside right channel and David Silva inside left. They know their roles. They've got their V-shaped and that's it. And they can, they can combine and they can build. They've got speeders out wide and they know those guys are going to make runs. So they give them the ball. He's choreographed, right? Sane likes to run through lines. Sterling has developed that run in his game. He used to be a dribbler. More so now, he takes it through the line or sprints through the line. And he challenges people. He makes early runs in the first half in a big diagonal from from the, from the uh, Delft. And he went in behind, went out for a goal kick. And Sterling puts his hands up and says... Thank you. That's me now. Run my man back. It's choreographed what they're doing. And what we do, I'm afraid, we are quite forceful. We push high. What's the point of pushing Bellerin high if you're not going to play him in? What's the point of Ramsey running high if we haven't got secure possession? I think you'll find it's much harder to concede a counterattacking goal if you don't have your team way up the pitch. <laughs> yeah, well. That's the point. Yeah, well. You know, what's the point of having both win-backs high when we haven't got secure possession? And I did actually feel a bit sorry for Granit Xhaka because he looked exhausted running around that midfield, doing doggies, trying to capture people. When he does get the ball, he's massively fatigued and his technical security is going to be less. I just I just think when it gets to the big games, you've got to have a more serious game plan. You've got to have shorter distances. And that's where we see the limits of our players. And then we see players that haven't got the rounded skills that we've spoken about many times before. And I have to say, I think we, we Tim's absolutely right. We have got some quite poor technicians in the centre of the pitch. So we have to decide how we're going to play. If that's if we're not going to play in midfield, then let's not do that. Let's disconnect and have and play the Italian style and go four three three and let the three up front do it. But I miss the midfield out. But we just we haven't quite got the style. We haven't got it defined. 
and our players are not strong enough technically identity wise to define our style for us and so when we get pressured by the very best teams we see this team that we're not quite sure what we just saw and what we represent yeah it's kind of hard to argue that and again always with the caveat that we understand that this is a unique situation and then paul one of the things that was problematic on this day is look especially if you're not going to play Lacazette and you're going to bring a Wobie in there and you want to try to be a little bit more energetic and more physical and, and maybe have the extra body in midfield, it's even more incumbent on Ozil to find a way to influence the game. Um, and maybe that's unfair, but he didn't. He was really, really poor. And, and I'm not saying that Alexis wasn't, but I, I think Alexis had arguably the even harder job isolated up front, at least for the first 60 minutes or so. How disappointing is Ozil's performance on the day? And... Not just that, but at what point do you have to wonder about the the mentality of this player, the capability of this player, that he just does not seem to be able to influence games where we're really challenged? Well, he just looks like a player who, if you're not the dominant team in possession, uh, it, it just doesn't work for him. I Grading him on a curve, I actually thought he was quite committed in this game. Um, for Ozil. Um, I think he was genuinely trying. Um, I just don't think... He doesn't like that level of pressure and and pressing around him. Uh, He doesn't thrive in it. Um, You know, being on the same pitch with De Bruyne, that's not a good look for him, not a good comparison. You see the two things in particular that De Bruyne does that he doesn't, which is the graft and work rate on and off the ball and the fact that he can actually take a shot without trying to pass it into the net and that he's a goal scorer. So, but, but Jim, what about uh, just the weird lack of even technical uh, accuracy? Like he just, he, he wasn't passing as accurately. He was, he was horrendous. I mean, Scott brings up in his stats section that he was yeah. 50% on passes in the final third when he averages 90%. He's one of Europe's best final third passers. I mean, that, sure. that's sure. That's but as I, Yeah, but as I listen to that, I'm thinking, well, stats are great, but it's all about interpretation. I think that purely tells you how much pressure. There's a reason Alexis and Ozil were particularly uh, loose with the ball and particularly inefficient. And that's by the ta- time they got into the final third against City, it was generally in circumstances in which you know, the city's structure was actually in place and the the passes, Ozil isn't just going to make any old pla- pass. He's going for key passes and more aggressive passes and that's when he's at his best. But unfortunately, you know, the, the, uh, the, the odds were against him in terms of defensive positioning and, and spacing and then our own structure when we got there. He didn't have that much to hit and he had a lot of pressure on him and I think that explains his numbers. I don't think he was particularly bad for him. He just looked particularly bad and yes, it's still an indictment that he's only a player that really suits a team that's dominating possession or if they're counterattacking as Real Madrid used to be with him in the team. Um, they're doing it from a position of structure and control and they're running the game even if he doesn't have to have all the possession. He just needs to have good possession where he's the guy picking the hole in their defense. Well, that wasn't there to be had in this game would be my reading of it. Yeah, and I, I sort of wonder if Awobi's going to t- 
tuck in a little bit and maybe drop into midfield a bit, and the only guy up front is Alexis, if maybe yeah. Ozil doesn't have Kind of a giveaway. Him. Well, it yeah. almost makes you wonder if, you know, not to bring up the Lacazette thing, but you go Lacazette and Alexis almost as a two up front, um, and drop a Wobie more in the midfield, and because there's not much of a role for Ozil in the way he lined up then, and, and that's giving Ozil a bit of a pass. Um, yeah. Tim, as they got to the end of the game, I mean, after the Giroud goal... The game got really stretched, and it opened up a lot, and I, I felt that we looked like we had our best opportunity, and then the offside goal came, and then the manager did something interesting. He, he brought on Giroud. He moved Lacazette out wide. I mean, do you, I, I realize at that point the game was probably beyond us, but did mm. the subs he make kind of make you shake your head that's like, oh, Arson, now you're just throwing on attackers to throw on attackers? I mean, do you think there was a, a good sort of tactical philosophy behind what he did or that it really was just get every attacker he has on the pitch? I think it was a little bit get every ta- attacker he has on the pitch, which um, which actually quite often works for him, um, usually against lesser sides, though. I, I think on this occasion you could make an argument for it in that he clearly felt that the channels were where he could get Man City. And in many respects, that was, that was uh, vindicated with the goal. Um, the goal came in the channel to Lacazette, um, a position he could avail of coming from wide. Um, our best chance before that came from the channel when kind of Ramsey got into it. So um, he obviously felt if there was a weakness in the city defence that that particular area was it. Um, and you know if you've got Lacazette out wide, he can he can still do some damage in that area. Um, that said, I, I don't. think think that there was that much of a tactical um, kind of thought behind it. I think that was kind of more of a fringe benefit and it was let's just get all the attackers on Um, and in many respects I've got some sympathy with doing that um, in most games that we're not winning to be honest because as we've just discussed we don't have much of a midfield anyway and we usually just end up with five people standing in a line (laughs) So they might as well all be strikers, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, well, that sounds um, healthy and, and perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, and and the get, the, you know, the, the game really was done at that point. So I, I didn't think an awful lot of it, but yeah, it was probably worth a try. When I first saw Giroud was coming on, I was thinking, oh great, this is exactly what you want against um, a high line, um, where kind of running into the channels uh, is is kind of a good option, but. Actually, it was like, well, I suppose Lacazette's there and um, Alexis is still there. So we're not really losing any of that. And I probably better Giroud than Walcott at the moment. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. So, Clive, I mean, here's the problem. We, um, we do wind up losing this and, you know, so be it. I think that was kind of the expectation. I mean, maybe in retrospect, you'd like to go back and just put the strongest 11 out there and say, well, we knew we lost it the first time. Let's see what happens with, with the best 11 guys we have out there. But the second guessing doesn't really change the fact that they are beyond us, and that's fine. But we have Spurs coming to the Emirates right after the international break. It's easy after these big game losses to want to rip everything up and start from scratch. And yet, ultimately, a lot of the statistical models had us as the fourth best team in England prior to this game. And aside from the Liverpool match in this match, statistically speaking, we've performed reasonably well. Having said that, we do have four away losses, and I think we've conceded something like 16 or 19 goals. What is it? Is it 16 goals? Something something yeah, bad. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so my question to you is simply, d- 
does he just go back to that best first eleven for the derby and and say I'm not drawing any conclusions from the city game, or do you think this starts sort of a cascading spiral of tinkering? where he kind of loses the feel for this squad and potentially becomes a bit of a rut. I hope he goes back to uh, that stronger team. I think we get Welbeck back. I think we get Mustafi back. I think we get Chambers back as well into the squad after the international break. So I mean, maybe, I'm not sure if he's going to play Mustafi. I hope he's, he's fit enough and does play. And um, and we just play our football. Right? And the, the midfield thing is an issue. I thought I saw a great line. I think it's from that Charlie Watts guy in Football London. He says that Arsenal play football without a safety net, and that really is highlighting our midfield. We basically are so risky in there, and and it works against the lesser teams and against the better teams. Every mistake is punished, and we have no ability to recover. Spurs are quite quick on a transition. I don't know if you've noticed. They're quite athletic. They're quite big. They're quite fast. They're much faster than us. It's quite interesting to see what we do. You know what we're going to do, didn't you? We're going to have Shaka at the base. Um, we're going to probably spend two weeks with Arsenal fans arguing should Jack Wilshire play there. Well, last time I looked, he's not a sprinter over, over big distances, so good luck with that. So I, I think... We just need... I don't think we've got any choice. I don't mind losing our way. I don't mind losing with our best players. I'd like to see them play better like every fan would. But I'd just like to see us play the Arsenal way. And like we, like we saw at Everton. And like we've seen from many of the home games in patches. Um, so, to Spurs worry me? Yeah, they worry me a little bit. Because they're quite efficient in our, in our box. But well, they and they press, and, and we haven't handled the press yeah, well in, in quite a while. They, exactly. They play off our mistakes, and um, but they're not technically supreme either. They just sprint, they just run, and they just hit areas. I, I'm not buying the aura of these teams. It's up to us to have a solution to play against them. But playing a bit more discipline and playing a little bit more tactical maturity and don't show your shorts to the person in the ball all the time running forward into areas where you can't receive the ball yeah, show, show me your feet you, how about that yeah exactly <laughs> show me your boots that's exactly one of the lines I use when I'm doing my coaching let the player on the ball see your boots I can't you tell can't you how see many your times boots, what are you doing on Sunday a, a player received the ball with no one to give it to um, no angle to pass and that that is happening way too often. Um, Clive, do you think he will go back to that eleven, or do you think it's it's tinker time? I think he's probably. It depends on the pressure and the heat. He he may. I hope he does. It's a home game, and I think um, we are we are starting to see some little patches of fluidity with our strongest team. But you know what? I, I need to get closer to it. I need to see what actually happens and what the the vibes in the media are because he does listen to them. I feel I felt he listened to them. I thought he got a little bit tentative and I think he made a decision that he didn't need to make. I will say he was very unlucky to lose the captain for illness and then lose holding with an injury. None of us saw that coming on, on the morning of the game. So, um, and that unsettled things a little bit. I thought Cockland tried manfully. Well, not we to mention, by the way, flow. Co- Cockland's big, big uh, quality is his energy, but he had just yeah. played a full game on Thursday. So, yeah, exactly. He's done his best in midfield. But what, he's, but what he's not good at, and what you need to be good at in that centre position. You should need to want the ball. You need to show for the ball. You need to create angles to receive it. And what he likes to do is hunt the ball, go get the ball, 
but he doesn't want to receive it too much in open spaces, right? So um, he likes receiving it in the crowd. He can pop it off quickly and sprint out of the hole. Well, you know, he doesn't you know really want to. The, the problem with that, Clive, is if if your central defender does not want to receive the ball in the center of the pitch, then the only option is out wide, your first option. Yeah. And if your first option is out wide, where's the easiest place, place to press the ball? Out wide, when you have the benefit yeah. of the of the touch line. It, it yeah. can be. Once you realize someone doesn't want the ball, you don't go and mark him. You go and double up on Uobu. You double up on Shaka, and suddenly they're under pressure. If you've got another person that wants the ball, and what Arsenal are very good at with their back three, they don't have any anybody who doesn't want it so our back three are all ball players they normally receive it and want to play and so you don't have like your your smallings in there who don't want the ball you know you, Jones who's terrible on the ball you know even Gary Cahill's not great on the ball with Arsenal's back three they might not be the most robust but they can all play and so we start to circulate possession and we start to get a breather I think it was really noticeable in this game that we weren't able to do that so if we get our back three players back who can all keep it then we can then execute in our moments of possession we're going to need to do that against Spurs and Spurs are going to wait for a mistake they're going to trap for a mistake and we need to be secure are yeah. we secure? Nope, not in the moment. But we can all hope that we um yeah. <laughs> that we're more secure than Let's we were see. against City. Um, I want to finish real quick w- with each Paul and Tim. Just one last quick thing. So Paul, real, real quick to you. Um, is there an argument? And again, I see every point that you're making about why to rest Lacazette or what the manager's plan is long term. But if we accept for the moment that maybe Arsene Wenger's strength isn't specifical game by game tactical preparation that Arsene Wenger is good at squad building, that he's good at talent development, that he has a good philosophy that is more of a holistic philosophy than a game-specific philosophy. If we believe that, and I certainly do, then isn't the argument that you put your most talented 11 players on the pitch because the odds that you're going to get it right playing game-by-game tactics are lower than the odds that your most talented players will figure it out on the pitch? I mean... Is is that the argument for just going back to that best eleven for Spurs and kind of riding it from there? No, I think you're you're getting way way out of line off one game. I, and if if the concern is, oh my God, he might do it again for Spurs, he won't. Lacazette will start against Spurs. Spurs were playing at home. Spurs aren't City. Uh, in the past. He has made accommodations for playing Spurs away from home. So I would say, relax. Let's not panic. Your definition of our best 11 will be the 11 that plays against Spurs. Um, I'll take it. (laughs) I'm still fine with the lineup we had. I get that. For the reasons we already explained, uh, I just think, let's cool our jets. It's It's the next game, but it's 13 days away. Uh, he won't have his Coquelin issue. He, he just didn't want to take too many issues all over the park. He went for a safer bet upfield. He'll go back to your definition of our best 11 mm-hmm. against the Spurs team would be my, because that's on our territory. And if he really doesn't feel we can play our game at home, well, then I think he will think just as we would would think, what the fuck are we up then, to? Then what are we doing? Yeah, and by the way, Paul, yeah. I mean, I want to be clear. If he had brought a Wobie in for Ozil, for example, and played Lacazette up front, it, it's not that I, I think he can't rotate or that I think it was the most stupid thing ever. I just, I think the specific change 
didn't suit the situation. And I realize that's a, a lot of uh, hindsight being 2020 there. So, Tim. But I think I explained just quickly. I think I explained why I get why he didn't want to play the three did. up front you do. Yeah. And you also made a comment about, well, those two guys, two of those guys are off anyway. Well, they're not. They're not off for the whole rest of this season. And if we start acting like, oh, well, Ozil and Sanchez no, are no, off no. anyway, so you why not drop them? I, you misinterpreted it. I was saying, I was saying th- that I, I think the argument was made that Lacazette was the easiest one to drop. And I was making yeah. the point that if you're protecting the egos of the two guys who don't have a future at your club instead of the one who is the future of the club, that that might be an incorrect calculation psychologically. Sure, That's all I but I think it was a valid comment, but it's not the egos he's massaging. It's you you can't treat your two star players any different just because they're not going to be with you at the you end of the season. You have to keep them on board. You have to keep them on board for the season. I agree with that. I yeah. no argument there. I mean Tim, so then j- just two things real quick. One, is it a little worrying that maybe a loss in a big game like this, admittedly as good as, as City are is producing sort of a collective shrug more than the usual meltdown? I mean, should we be a little worried that we don't see this as a cause for complete disastrous meltdown? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, a a friend of mine was making a point on Twitter today. I I didn't necessarily agree with the angle. Um, He was, you know, he was talking about the decisions that went against us, and he was saying the fact that there's so little kind of... um, outrage shall we say about it kind of says that people are pretty apathetic about it um and i I, don't get me wrong so i think it's right that there's no outrage because i I just think it's so boring and ott now the way people get stuck into referees i think it's very unfair as well um but at at the same time i think he's got a point ordinarily football fans you know i don't think that's how most football fans think I think most of them do get upset and outraged over decisions that go against their team. And there hasn't been much of that. And there is a, a kind of a bit of a feeling of apathy. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking of, you know, I've said it on a few pods now about how important it is to finish in the top four this year at the expense of everything else. And um, the, the thing is, I feel like the fans just aren't on board with that um not necessarily because they don't agree but they're just not engaged they're not interested by it we they've seen you know over a decade of um fourth or die and they're just not invested in it anymore um and that's you know that's 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 just the reality i think a lot of people feel perhaps a little bit hopeless about um the direction that arsenal are going in and that they're just not massively engaged. And I, I think, uh, you know, in, in the away end on Sunday, it was a massive air of resignation from, from you know, definitely from the first goal onwards. But I'd say even before that, most people, I, got, I really got the feel that most people went there really expecting that we'd lose. Some people thought that we'd get thrashed. Um, and yeah, that, I, I think that is a concern. Don't get me wrong. There's a big part of me that thinks that well, Man City are so much better and they bloody well should be for the money they've spent. And I think Man City and Chelsea, for the money they've spent between them, I think both of those clubs have underachieved. Um, well, what frankly. about United? But, <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Although at least United, you know, with Ferguson, they were, I know they've got loads and loads of money as well, but they were still holding their own with uh, those clubs, which, 
you know, I, I think Chelsea and City should have done more for what they've spent. But that said, that doesn't mean I think we shouldn't be a bit closer, um, basically. So I, I think we should be able to give them a game um, and, you know, maybe ultimately not win it. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I do think that's a concern overall. But um, yeah, that's that's where we are. Yeah, that's where we are, and maybe that's where we should leave it. Um, it's a big game right after the international break, which is always a little tricky. Maybe we're a little lucky with the players who don't have fixtures or don't have a lot of fixtures to worry about, so that should be a little easier. And I think, look, if we can just write this off as a one-off, and if the manager can do it and the players can do it, and we go back to what was working and we get our season on track with a win in the, in the derby, I actually think it's fine, and I think you just move on from it. The problem is with the derby coming up, if you can't get a result there, I think the tinkering starts, I think the the squad starts to run into some trouble and, and then it, then it becomes interesting because Arson, Arson is not necessarily the firefighter he once was. So we'll see what happens in any event. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Uh, thank you. And, uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Always a pleasure. Pause. Thanks. Woohoo. Woohoo indeed. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Thanks Clive. Thank you very much. Enjoy the two weeks away. Um, you know, it's two weeks to shit yourself for the Derby, which, God knows that'll be fun. In any event, we'll be back to break down all the things that went right in our 5-2 victory uh, in that match uh, after it happens. Until then, enjoy your time away. <laughs>